Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So I would love you just to bring to mind a moment, if you can, when you were either, you can pick, either when you were invited into a group of friends or when you were pushed out of a group of friends. And just think about the feeling that that moment brought to mind. I remember once when I was at school, I was told by some of the kids in my year, some of the, the most popular kids who were playing football, I was told, Tom, we don't want you to play. I was heartbreaking. It was a really sad moment. And thank you. That, that was the response I wanted. <laughs> no, everyone's like, yeah, I don't care. I, I understand what they did. Um, when it happens, when you've, you're navigating, am I in or am I out? It can raise questions, can't it? And what are the rules? What's the basis? What's the grounding that means I'm in a group or I'm out of a group? How do we decide who gets to be part of any given group? And when it comes to church and Christian community, we can have a very similar question. What is it that brings someone into fellowship? What makes it so someone's part of the community? What makes it so someone can have fellowship with God? And what pushes someone to the outside? This was a live issue in a group of churches a couple of thousand years ago in a region called Galatia. And Galatia, just to uh, put it on a map for you, is in what we'd call Turkey today. It was a, a region of central Turkey. It included a few different towns and cities, so places like Iconium and Lystra and Derby, which when you read through the book of Acts, you hear about churches getting started in these different places. And the main city of Galatia was a place called Antioch. That was the, the big prominent city there. And Antioch was quite a significant place as the church grew. What had happened is it started in Jerusalem. Jesus had risen from the dead and he'd commissioned his followers to go out and tell people, be witnesses to what they had seen. And so they started doing it around Jerusalem and around the surrounding area and different people became followers of God. It was a a really great thing that happened. Uh, And then there was a bit of opposition and they started getting persecuted. There were people who were having a go, trying to arrest them, trying to kill them in some cases. And so they, they scattered, they went and moved to different places. And as they went, they carried on witnessing, they carried on sharing about what they knew and about what they'd seen of the good news of Jesus. But what they did, because they were coming from Jerusalem, they were coming from a Jewish background and they had a culturally Jewish way of doing things. They would have certain foods they did and didn't eat, they would um, have certain feast days they kept, they'd have all sorts of stuff around it. And they they knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises that had been made in the Old Testament. So when they went to these different towns and cities, they were like, we're going to start in the synagogues. We're going to find the Jewish communities in these places. We're going to tell them that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. And they found there was some success in this. And some people were believing and adding to the numbers. So churches got started in lots of different places. And then we come to Antioch, and then something a little bit different happened there, which we see in Acts chapter 11 from verse 19. So up to this point, they'd spoke the words to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, 
who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also. Now, Hellenists means Greek speakers, but it's basically talking about the locals. It's talking about uh, the, the ordinary Turkish people of that community. They started speaking the word to them, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, it presents a bit of a conundrum for the leaders of the church in Antioch because up to this point they've had a community that had lots of commonality, lots of shared culture, lots of shared ways of doing things but now some people have been reached by Jesus and they're all celebrating this but they're, they're reflecting on well how can we integrate these people into community? What do they need to do to fit in this church that's formed? And you had some people, and these people were called the Circumcision Party. And now, just as an aside, the Circumcision Party sounds like the worst party ever. (laughs) If I get invited to one, my RSVP is definite no. Um, But the Circumcision Party basically argued that in order for these Turkish people who'd become Christians to be integrated into the church, they needed to start doing all the culturally Jewish things from the Old Testament. So they needed to keep the food laws. They needed to uh, only eat certain foods and avoid other foods. They also, for, for the men amongst them, they would need to be circumcised. That's where they got their name from. They'd have to keep all the festivals and the holidays. and they need to start doing all of this And then they could fit into this community that had formed in the church. They had a chap called Paul who argued very, very strongly that that can't be it. It can't be about that, because if it's about that, then you've basically tinkered with the gospel. Because the gospel is what gets you acceptance, what gets you fellowship with God and his people, is the free gift of Jesus. That is the gospel. He's come, he's died for your sins, and by faith in him and faith alone, you're brought in. So if you start saying to these people, yeah, yeah, it's all well and good that you have faith, but if if you don't keep the food laws, you can't have fellowship. If you don't get circumcised, you can't have fellowship. If you don't observe the festival days, you can't have fellowship. What you're saying is that the gospel isn't you're in by grace alone. You're saying that the gospel is you're in by grace alone in a bunch of stuff that you do. You've undermined the whole thing. And so that was his argument. And that's what prompted him to write this letter that we've been looking at over the last few weeks here at Christchurch Manchester, which is in our New Testament, and it's called Galatians, because it was Paul writing to the churches in this region of Galatia. And in the bit that we're going to come to today, we're going to see the story of how uh, Peter, so this was one of the disciples of Jesus, sometimes known as Cephas, which is the Greek version of his name, he came to visit Antioch. And even he gets led astray by these people who, who are coming with these false ideas. So there's a bit of a barney between Paul and Peter that we'll read about. And uh, just to, as a little technical aside, we're going to read what Peter's done, and then we'll read Paul's response to him. There's a little bit of debate about how much of this is Paul's response. Some people think it's just one verse. I actually think his response goes longer than that, and a lot of the commentators would agree with me that right through to the end of the chapter is his response. It all flows and fits and seems to respond to what Peter has done. So we're going to work on the basis that that's what's happening in these verses. So if you've got a Bible, Galatians 2 is where we're reading from. And I'm going to start from verse 11 and go to the end of the chapter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face 
because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified, not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We've come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ And not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if, in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The Bible commentator John Stott says that this is without doubt one of the most tense and dramatic episodes in the New Testament. Here are two leading apostles of Jesus Christ face to face in complete and open conflict. When Paul visited Jerusalem, and we heard about this last week from Abby, then Peter, together with James and John, gave him the right hand of fellowship. But when Peter visited Antioch, Paul opposed him to his face. So this morning, I want to dig in to what's going on. Why was Paul so agitated by the way Peter was acting? Well, the presenting issue was what we call legalism. So legalism is saying that someone is in or out based on what they do. And this is what we've been discussing at length, really, over the last few weeks. I remember when I was doing teacher training, I was placed at this school and the most kind of high-pressure moment in the life of any school is when Ofsted are going to visit. So Ofsted are the school inspectors. They come in, they have a look at how the school's doing, they watch a bunch of lessons, and they give this report that uh, puts the school in its um, kind of publicly um, available grade. So everyone knows this school's outstanding or this school's not very good, and they, they're judged based on it. Now, at this school that I was uh, associated with, what, what they decided to do on hearing that the next morning Ofsted were coming in is they just placed a few sneaky little phone calls to, to some of the kids whose behaviour was not so good, saying, um, you know, if you fancy a sick day tomorrow, uh, it's fine, we won't raise any questions, just, just go with it. Because they had this, it's awful, isn't it? It's absolutely terrible. I mean, maybe all schools do it. There are some teachers who probably know who you could ask later if this is common practice or not. But um, it's a terrible thing they did. And yet what they were saying to these kids is, 
based on your behaviour, based on the fact that you can't live up to a standard that we would set, while these people are visiting, we're going to treat you like you're not part of us. We're going to keep your arms length. You're not part of our community based on your actions, based on your conduct, based on your behaviour. And something like that was going on in these cities of Galatia. When these people had come down from Jerusalem, Peter was previously taking these people who had eaten with, been friends with, been in fellowship with, and said, I'm going to keep you at arm's length because you're not keeping the law. I'm not going to eat with you anymore. You don't obey the food laws. You're not circumcised. You don't keep the festival days. So you're out. You're not in fellowship with me anymore. Maybe you're in fellowship with God, but uh, I've got a higher standard than him. So you can't be in fellowship with me and with my friends. It's an absolute distortion of the gospel. If we're brought into fellowship with God by grace, then who is Peter? Who are any of us to say to the person who God's accepted, no, I'm going to reject you. I'm not going to eat with you. That's why in chapter one, Paul said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. There are many ways legalism can play out for us. And over the last few weeks, we've been highlighting some of them. We've been talking about some of the ways today we might have our version of it. We probably don't do it around food laws. We probably don't do it around circumcision or festival days. But we have our own versions. We have our own, yeah, it's the gospel, but it's the gospel plus this. You can only really be included if you tick these boxes, if you meet these standards. One of the versions of this that, uh, that I hear people say quite a lot is when, when they talk about God, they say something like, when I picture God, I just think he doesn't like me. I just see God as mad at me all the time. I just imagine God just pouring out anger when he thinks of me. Uh, it's okay, well, why, why is that? Why do you think? Well, it's because of who I am. It's because of what I do. It's because of the things in my life. It's because of the shameful stuff in my heart. And you unpick it. What's behind it is I can only be acceptable to God if I'm like X, Y, Z. If I'm doing these things, if I'm not doing those things, if I'm living a certain way. If I can meet these standards I've set myself, then maybe I can imagine God pleased with me. But in general, I just think he's mad at me. That's legalism, isn't it? Because we're saying our acceptance with God is on the basis of what we do. And we need to see the gospel. Paul's message is a message of grace. Did you see in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. We're accepted because God loves us, because he's given himself for us, not because of what we do. God doesn't get mad at you based on what you do. He smiles at you because of what Christ has done for you, because Jesus died for you. You're in, and whatever you do, however you live, whatever shame there is, he's taken it and covered it. That's the message of grace. Philip Yancey, I love these words that he said, there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. He loves us. He absolutely loves us. So that's the legalism that's going on. There's another dimension, though, that goes along with the legalism in this passage. Because when we read through things like this and we talk about them, often we miss the racial dimension to what's going on here. Because you've got these people from Jerusalem, and I want you to think about what they're saying. They're coming into these ethnically Turkish communities, and they're saying to them, people who look like you aren't acceptable unless you start acting like 
people who look like us. That's what they're saying. Isn't that a terrible thing? They're saying that the criteria on which someone is in or out of fellowship is their racial identity. And they're saying to Gentiles that the only way you can be in is if you start adopting a different racial identity to your own, if you start acting like someone who isn't you. And when Peter and Barnabas and the others start going along with it, that's the message they're endorsing. They're putting this divide in the church on the grounds of race. Now, we, we have a word for this, don't we? The word we use is racism. We, we need to call it out in this passage. Peter, what's he doing? He's being racist in putting these divisions. He's saying, you Turkish people cannot eat with us Jewish people. I want to speak into it in three ways this morning. Firstly, let's just theologically speak into uh, what's going on here. So, I think we all know what we mean when we use the word race. I think it's a helpful uh, shorthand way of describing a lot of realities. Let's just acknowledge when the Bible talks about race, it's talking about the human race. There's one race. We're all made in the image of God. That's the starting point here. And when God made promises, he promised Abraham, he chose him, he called him, and he said to him, in you, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And in fact, in our next chapter, which we'll talk about more next week, but it says that as God said this to him, he was declaring the gospel. Do we think of it in gospel terms? The gospel is that all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. And so salvation comes the same for Jews and for Gentiles. Verse 15 of our passage, we ourselves, this is Paul explaining it to Peter, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified, not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Do I have my little diagram uh, on the screen? This is kind of trying to represent what's going on. So the Jews, they're under the law. God gave them the law, the set of commands. But salvation doesn't come through the law. It comes a different way. It's by faith. They put their trust in Jesus. For Gentiles, the way of salvation, exactly the same. It's by faith. So Jews and Gentiles have the same salvation. It's not through obedience. It's not through ethnic or racial identity. It's through trusting the work of Christ. There's one salvation for people of every race. Now, I suspect most of us in this room are on the Gentile side of things. Our way of salvation is through faith. But we could say the same uh, in terms of the different races in this room. For all of us, it's through faith in Jesus that we're saved. And it's not just, let's just get this clear, it's not just that we have the same way of salvation, so it's not just like the Jews are saved by faith and they end up over here and then uh, some Gentiles from Turkey, let's say, are saved uh, by faith and they're over here and then you get a different ethnic group saved by faith and they're over here. But it says in Ephesians that the dividing wall, which was the law, has been torn down and God now makes one new man in Christ made of people from every tribe and tongue and language and race and culture, all brought together in Christ. And that's what we see at the end of Revelation, uh, sorry, the middle of Revelation, where the vision of heaven says, after this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. That's where it's going. That's what God's doing in the gospel. So let's just pastorally speak into a little bit then. If that's what God's doing in the gospel, 
then how can there be exclusion? How can we put up the divides that the gospel has torn down? How can Peter and Barnabas and some others say, we're going to create a, a divide around the dinner table where we'll eat with some people, but we won't eat with other people when Jesus has said, I'm making one new person in Christ. We can't make that the basis on which someone is in or out of fellowship. Also, it tells us there is no one cultural form that gives shape to the way Christian worship should be. Because that's part of what they're saying as well. They say, look, the way we do it is the right things. And I suppose you people, yeah, you can be brought in as long as you start doing it the way we do it. Now, again, for, for people from Gentile backgrounds, which most of us are, we don't have the law. We don't even have the kind of theological heft of Old Testament scripture to back our ways of doing it. But the, it's still such an easy thing to do, isn't it? It's such an easy thing to think, I, I grew up with things being this way. I got saved into churches that were like this. So that must be normal. That must be how it should be. And anyone who has a different way of doing it are a bit weird. They're a bit wrong. And if they could just kind of draw alongside our rightness, our understanding of the way of doing things, then, yeah, they can be part of it. But this is normal. This is how it should be. It's an easy thing to do. On things like maybe what the style of worship should be, how uh, the, the vibe of a preach should be, what leadership looks like, how, how formally people dress, whether you start tight to your advertised time or not. Do you eat together? What kind of food do you eat together? All these peripheral questions, we can just get so set in, well, this is how it should be. And other people, yeah, they can come in as long as they start doing it this way. And we miss it's completely cultural. We miss it's completely our creation. And we miss that the gospel can be expressed in many cultures in many ways. And not just that it can be, but it must be. Because God is the saviour of the whole world. God is bringing together this multicultural, multi-ethnic, one body in Christ. And we can't do the, well, it's equal but separate thing. We can't do it, well, these people have their way of worshipping. And these people have their way of worshipping. We actually miss the magnificence of the gospel unless we see it expressed through many cultures together. There's something glorious that God's doing in that. Now, you might think, hang on, Tom, you're laboring this point a bit today. Too right I'm laboring the point. Because (laughs) do you see what Paul says? He said, I saw that Peter was not acting in step with the gospel. So when he's putting these divides up, what he's saying is that racial justice and racial reconciliation are not just social issues, they're gospel issues. That's what Paul is saying to Peter in those words. That's why Peter's hypocrisy here, and he was a hypocrite, he knows better, he knows that it's by faith, and yet he's not acting in that. That's why it's such a big deal to Paul. If you don't see the racial implications the gospel has, I'd recommend dive into the New Testament, dive into the letters. You'll see it all over the place. Sidney Parker, a Bible professor, says that racism is not simply sin, but active resistance against the perfect work of God on the cross. So you might be wanting to push back. You might be wanting to say, hang on, we've just spent like a month talking about don't add anything to the gospel it's only the gospel Tom are you saying well yes it's the gospel it's the gospel plus not putting up ethnic divides no no that's not adding to the gospel 
This is the gospel. This is how it works. Because the gospel says the basis on which you're in or out is the free gift of grace in Jesus. And if you're saying that what puts someone in or out is something else, it's ethnic identity, you're undermining the gospel. You don't have the gospel if you're going down this route. You can't understand the gospel and be prejudiced against someone of a different racial group. And to the extent that you are prejudiced, it means you don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel is powerful in this. So practically speaking, let's, let's just take this seriously. Let me just give a few suggestions. This could be a whole message in itself, what we do practically on this. But just a few thoughts. So first thing, and I think the most important thing, is let's learn to listen well. Let's ask questions, hear stories, take on board the experience of other people, dig into what the experience of others is like in our friendships, but also in what we read, what we listen to, what we view. Let's get a wide range of things so we, we can undermine this sense of, oh, well, the way I've always known things, the way people from my culture are, that, that, that's normal, that's right. Let's undermine that by being wide in who we hear from and what stories we hear. Let's be ready to speak. Let's be ready to talk. Let's be ready to work this out together. What does it look like to see many cultures magnifying Jesus together? And also let's be ready to speak when we see it go amiss, like Paul was. He got in Peter's face about this publicly because Peter was acting out of line with the gospel. Let's be ready to do that where we see people acting in this way. Caleb Rosado says the church has tended to be loudly silent regarding racism. Such a posture must be repented of before we can fulfil our vision. Let's make sure we're not loudly silent on this, but speaking as we need to speak. Let's be a community that's open, that embraces diversity, that celebrates it. Let that shape our gatherings like this, our community groups, our social gatherings, every bit of community we have. The gospel is magnificent. It's a powerful thing. It's a life-giving thing. It's a transformational thing. And it's the gospel that sets the parameters for who's in and who's out, based on the completely free gift of Jesus. Anyone, as you receive the grace of Jesus, it brings you into God's family. And we as a family, we can't then put our divides up. You're in on his grace. So you're welcomed in this morning. 